Humans and prosperity never endure side by side for long. Herodotus. Welcome to Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank everyone listening this week and that have been listening uh, for longer than that. Um, this is going to be kind of a couple of things in this episode. Uh, we will be talking about uh, Gobekli Tepe and a number of other sites, but I also kind of want to give an update on just the state of the podcast. Um, I'm recording this on the 16th in the evening, um, and that is a year, almost a year before I posted my introductory episode. And, um, it's been, you know, it's been a pretty fun experience. And, um, uh, well, I say introductory episode. It was actually just the introduction. It was posted on January the 17th of 2022. So, uh, this one will be up basically a year from that. And since then, um, I've had over 1,100 downloads, give or take. Um, and that's unique users, uh, for all the episodes combined and that does include all the different places it's uploaded to and as well as um youtube as well because i have been putting my backlog up slowly but surely um i'll have some more episodes out there uh this week as well um but i'd like to thank everyone who's been listening um you know i i figured this sort of thing would take a lot of time to build up even to get to the hundreds and the fact that it's you know, more than that, um, I'm, you know, I'm very pleased with, I'm very proud with, uh, proud of, and I'd just like to thank everyone who has been listening regularly. Um, I have some family, some friends who I know have been listening regularly, but I know that there's a lot of you that haven't been, and uh, I, I do thank you for that. So, um, if this is your first episode, uh, I hope you continue to listen and enjoy the same as a number of other people have. Uh, but uh, enough just kind of, you know, uh, just enough uh, self-flagellation uh, or flagellation or whatever. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and just get to the meat of this episode. Um, as I said, we're going to be talking about Gobekli Tepe and a few of its surrounding sister sites and why it's important, and kind of how and when it was discovered, and just a whole slew of things. We'll probably be doing at least two episodes on the sites, uh, and possibly more, probably more, as a matter of fact. Um, and then, of course, we'll continue uh, as we have been through Asia. Uh, but I do have a special episode that I trying to record this week um that won't be out for another week or two so we'll continue as normal for at least another couple of weeks but um i'm looking forward to that uh but um let's just go ahead and get into everything uh that we should talk about this week so uh this site uh gobekli tepe and the study of it has um it's illuminated a very vital time in human development um, though, as we will see, everything that is being illuminated is not always easy to fully perceive. Uh, and we may be missing nuances 
or maybe overestimating some factors more than others, but that's uh, all kind of things we're going to be discussing. Still, uh, it's going to tie back in nicely to our last couple of episodes and into the next few, and uh, not to mention it's setting the stage for some important patterns uh, that we will see repeat and then expand uh, in multiple ways and multiple places throughout history. Uh, so, uh, But we will start with the history of the site's discovery and excavation. Uh, the site is located in the modern-day country of Turkey. Now, I briefly mentioned uh, the word Tel when discussing Tel Es Sultan, which of course is ancient Jericho, uh, what the site at ancient Jericho is referred to as. And how it translates to both hill and, uh, or it translates to hill in both Arabic and Hebrew. Uh, tepe is a Persian word that shares a similar meaning, and it has been adopted into Turkish. Um, from my understanding, tepe tends to refer to a artificial uh, structure rather than a natural one. Uh, and that's in both languages. And you can see the term in numerous place names uh, in both languages. Uh, Gobekli is a Turkish word meaning uh, paunchy or pot-bellied. So it literally mean, means pot-belly hill. Um, the Kurdish people who lived in the region, and still do, uh, referred to it as either Sherebreshk or Giramirza. Uh, I couldn't get firm translations on these. Um, there's less kind of open source uh, Kurdish uh, language things. And um, I know, know I'm butchering at least one of those pronunciations, if not both. Um, but um, take this translation with a grain of salt. But Jerebreshk uh, means ugly or bad. And uh, Giramarazan means the Hill of Miracles. Um, now, any locals that lived in or near the area and you know, happened to travel in those uh, foothills um, were probably vaguely aware that the location of the site was buried under wasn't entirely natural. Um, you know, it was kind of flattened at some points and made into a plateau and you could tell it had been cleared. Um, but that for this region, that is unusual. Um, some of the higher levels and layers show that attempts to break up uh, some of the stones used in the complex had been made several times with people you know, doing the digging and plowing, just thinking they were natural stones. Uh, the nearby hills and mountains have been used as quarries for millennia, and there are probably, you know, all kinds of abandoned camps, towns, villages from a whole slew of time periods. And while the surrounding area isn't particularly useful for large-scale large scale agriculture, uh, um, and this is due to the summers being very hot and dry, while the winters are very cold and wet, uh, it can support, you know, some some level of agriculture. I mean, enough to, for, you know, for you to scrape by, but you're not going to be producing huge amounts of surplus. Uh, but the land is much more useful 
as pasture land. Uh, you know, uh, goats, sheep, this would be kind of prime real estate for them. Um, the, co- the closest modern city is San Liurfa, or just Urfa, and some of its best-known specialty, like agricultural goods, are cheese and you know other dairy byproducts. Um, when I was kind of researching for this episode back in, I think it was October, um, I kind of looked up some of the stuff and I found out that um, the um, there's a there's kind of like a little gourmet shop uh, near where I work and. Um, I was reading about some of the cheese, and I was like, well, I'll see if they have it. And sure enough, they did. They've had um, a peppered cheddar cheese from there that was actually very good. Um, in fact, just thinking about it, it makes me want to go get some tomorrow. But, uh, yes, uh, I think the locals, it's more commonly served without the pepper. It's brine, so it's probably way more salty. Um um, but that, again, that's for traditional serving. I'm sure that they have, you know, spiced it in some ways locally as well. And I've had the spiced variety. It's very good, but I have not had the traditional brined, uh, cheese. Uh, now, uh, San Lu, uh, San Lu Urfa is about, uh, 10 miles or 17 or so kilometers away from where Gobekli Tepe is. It's not quite highly as elevated, though it is above sea level. It's um, it's kind of towards the foot of the hills uh, that it is in, um, and historically, it has also you know it's a very important point for travel in the region if you're leaving Anatolia and moving south, or if you're coming from the south into Anatolia. Um, it's a it's a very vital overland point. Uh, and it was used by both uh, Christian and Mus- Muslim pilgrims during the Middle Ages. Um, some may recognize the old Greek name for the city, uh, Edessa. Uh, and it also, uh, depending on your definition, is on the outskirts of or in Upper Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, and the Levant. And any way you slice it, uh, if you consider it part of one or two or all three, or if you don't consider it part of any, it's still close to all those locations. So, again, just due to its proximity, it has been a very uh, important reason uh, for travel, or uh, it's been a very important place for travel to pass through. Yeah, so as we will see, this is potentially a similarity between the Neolithic site and its more recent counterparts, though in the prehistoric sense, Gobekli Tepe may have been the destination and not merely a transit point. Uh, Now, the site was first noticed by academia during surveys of the region in, I think it was the 1960s, uh, but that survey kind of had pegged it as an old medieval site, possibly a cemetery. and it wouldn't be excavated until the mid-90s by a mix of German and Turkish teams led by a German named Klaus Schmidt. Um, 
I think Schmidt first suspected the site of being much older after reading the accounts from the earlier survey, and he was doing his own surveys in the region. Uh, he kind of confirmed his own suspicions once he examined some of the tools uh, found at that site. Uh, then he proved it, I think, to a level um, that I expect even surprised himself. Um, and since then, there has been near constant excavation and study of the site. Uh, Schmidt died in 2014, and lead over the site was taken over uh, by, and I forgive me, I'm probably butchering the gentleman's name, Nekmi Karul of the University of Istanbul, though it is still in partnership with uh, the Germans, and um, plenty of other foreign nationals uh, work there as well. Um, you know, I'm sh they have like guest researchers that come. They, you know, host and I'm sure trade a lot of personnel and tools and skills between their location and other locations. And the site has become a major tourist attraction, in part as an attempt to help fund the site and its excavations, uh, but also to help in protecting the site both from humans and the environment um, and that has become more and more important as the study of the site has continued. Uh, the human element that the location needs to be protected from includes everything from um, looters, uh, just simple vandals, and even uh, even litter uh, <laughs> of all things. Uh, now the environmental concerns uh, that they're worried about include um, protecting the stone structures from erosion, from wind and rain, as well as guarding against water from, you know, getting into maybe cracks or um, holes in the artifacts freezing and then thawing, which can cause all kinds of problems. And remember, this is, a, you know, a region that the winters are much wetter than the summers. So that is a very real possibility. And all of this is going on while they're still excavating the site, which as of uh, 2021, use of ground-penetrating radar you know, in the site and around it suggests that um, only about 5% of the location has been fully unearthed. Um, so please keep this in mind as we talk about the site. There is a lot of unknown about it. And um, as we go forward, um, you know, this this is going to change. There's no question in my mind, you know. Um, and you know, as as time progresses, uh, some of the questions we have now will be answered. Um, but I'm sure every question that is answered will raise at least one other, if not more. Um, so this is this is there's a very high chance that I will have to do several update episodes on this topic in the future. Um, regardless, uh, now is the time to kind of dive into what has been uncovered and what it may uh, mean. Now, the first excavations of the site turned up a number of finds that were quite frankly shocking to the academic world and the archaeological world, you know, at large. 
Now, initially, Schmidt and his team had placed um, primary usage of the Stites site starting around the middle 9000s BC, somewhere between 9500, 9400, and that was based on the design and types of tools they found, and much later, radiocarbon dating um, done after the fact on some... um, organic material that had been found kind of in the same layer but a little bit further away um, helped kind of prove that that was a pretty good estimate. It lined up fairly well, Um, give or take maybe 100 years, maybe less than that, maybe slightly more, but it's in line with the estimates they had. And first thing they unearthed were buildings that were not used as domiciles or storage. Uh, There were no signs of bedding or hearths, and there was no evidence of any kind of food or tools or tool-making material being stored in any kind of quantity in those buildings. Um, But what they... um, So these buildings had a purpose that was beyond simply utilitarian. Um, And that, what they found showed that um, they, excuse me, what they found in those buildings uh, definitely did not have a utilitarian purpose. Uh, They unearthed a number of large uh, stone pillars, uh, most I believe are T-shaped. Though I think there are one or two that are just, you know, standing upright. They're po- those may be possibly be damaged, though. I didn't read anything that ex- explicitly said that they had been broken. Uh, and these pillars are designed and carved with intricate, elaborate figures. Um, there's a lot of different animals and a small number with human or human-esque figures. Um, But most have animals on them. Uh, There are things like scorpions, vultures. I think lion is another figure that has been found. Uh, There's some that's... It could be a fox. I think it looks more like a weasel, but I don't know if they're native to the area, so it may be a fox. Um, Some of them are in a very light kind of bass relief they're very you know they're very intricate but they're not super deep into the stone whereas there's other stones that have far more depth into the etchings um so this is you know pretty important there's not been a site at this age has any kind of um artistic expression like this um that was carved. Obviously, we have, you know, very intricate cave paintings and things like that. And there have been wood and bone carvings of figures in Europe, uh, and I think a part of the Asian steppe as well, slightly before this time period. But these monolithic stones, uh, there's nothing that comes close to this at this time frame. So, it was a very big deal. Uh, The second thing that really stood out and surprised them was that they didn't find other structures that could have been domestic or utilitarian in nature. 
And third, they found no evidence of a local water source. There was no dried up spring, pond, stream, river, or lake at the site. The closest sources are kind of temporary or just very small streams that make up. um, The river is called, uh, I believe, the Balak River. And uh, it's just the headwaters. It's just starting to form. And they're around 30 kilometers or 20 miles from where those waters even start to form. I don't even think the Balak becomes a true river until you get to what is now the modern Turkish-Syrian border. So um, this means that they were probably relying on collecting rainwater, which at the time frame we were focusing on was probably more regular. Um, This is, um, again, I know I said that it's, the current place, the summers are dry and hot. That was still true, though um, probably a little less dry in the summers. Um, but that changes, and we'll get into that, and that's part of the reason the site was probably abandoned. But again, more on that later. Um, but um, the biggest thing, aside from... Um, the the monolithic pillars. Um, the biggest shock was that there was no evidence of domesticated or semi-domesticated plants or animals. Uh, so that was huge because these type of structures, these religious or uh, ceremonial kind of sites at this size don't show up in the archaeological record until you see signs of sedentary living, like permanent sedentary living. Um, But there was no permanent sedentary uh, food sources at the site. Now, I will go into how some of this has since been challenged or disproven by later finds on the site, but this was the interpretation that was first hit on. Uh, and this is the one that kind of becomes the the more popular belief uh, that still kind of takes hold when people talk about Gobekli Tepe. Um, but again, it's not strictly true. There are some differences. Um, and that is kind of like one of the big things. Um, I know I mentioned Graham Hancock's show on Netflix. He is um, he talked about how um, the, these early sites of Gopekli Tepe was almost too perfect. It kind of preceded. Um, it just appears as a perfect monolithic religious site, and there is nothing around it to kind of show. Um, that it was built upon anything, so it was constructed first, and then later you see signs that the site's falling apart. So it starts perfect and then begins to go downhill. Um, and at the time, that was a you know it was of an effective argument. I feel like, and it's one of the things you know I talked about how I I kind of do agree with some of his points. Um, but if you actually study the site and really go into what has been happening. Uh, in the intervening years from you know a lot of the stuff being published, you can see that that's not 100% accurate. And 
uh, Gobekli Tepe is not the only site that is associated um, with this type of, uh, or with this culture. Um, there are a number of sites um, in the same general areas. I think the the, um, uh, the the English name for the region, and I'm I'm still haven't looked into the actual his, uh, Turkish name for these kind of groups of sites is uh, the Stone Hills or the Stone Foothills is another term you'll sometimes see, um, but uh, it you know it's it's a small region total, um, but there are a few different sites um, I believe around. I think around nine or ten um, locations that are kind of considered to be part of the same uh, culture, and this uh, most of these are dated to um, pre-pottery Neolithic uh, A, and then uh, there are a few that kind of see use into the pre-pottery Neolithic B. Um, but, uh, again, that's stuff that we're kind of going to focus on more in the future. Um, but I think that that's probably um, a decent place to stop for this week. Um, yeah, I think this is a, a good place. I think, um, let me just make sure. Uh, yes, Uh Oh, um, so I did want to point out, uh, going back through my notes here, that most of the animals on the pillars are believed to be male versions of animals. Um, the lions have manes, the boars have these very large tusks. Um, so for whatever reason, it appears that these are, um, male figures, um, Though, again, there are some animals that there's really not a lot of sexual dimorphism, things like ducks. So, kind of hard to, you know, 100% judge that. Um, but, the human figures almost entirely are uh, shown without faces, or with if they have a head. Um, right? Yeah, so they either don't have a head, so it's just a body, or there's like an oval shape, and then there's no kind of detail in the face. This is actually something you'll see all over the world in a lot of Stone Age art. Um, a lot of the early Venus figures have uh, either no head or no face. Um, so, you know, this is something that maybe showing the human face was taboo. Or it just wasn't something that entered into kind of our ritualistic thoughts. It's kind of hard to get, you know, kind of hard to explain it. There, right? Well, it's not hard to explain. There are actually several explanations, but obviously there's no way to prove any of them. Um, but yeah, um, so that's something uh, that we'll go into a little bit further detail. I am going to do something on the supposed religion that may be happening here and I think it's very possible that this is um, a kind of uh, 
religious center, although maybe not quite to the extent that Schmidt uh, expected it to be. Uh, and we'll go into that as we kind of um, next week. I'm going to break down kind of the layers um, of the site that have been ex- excavated and when each of those layers is dated to and what you see at those layers. Um, I will say uh, that um, even at layers that are around the same time frame in use, um, all the structures at that layer may not have built it, been built at the same time. There is debate um, that you know some of these uh, kind of temple enclosure spaces um, were not all built at the same time, though they were built maybe probably in the same you know couple of centuries. Uh, you know, in that same like layer three, I think is what that is. Um, but you know just because they were kind of buried in the same layer um, doesn't mean they were built at exactly the same time. Though I do think there are three that they've kind of determined that were built and connected to each other through like passageways. Um, But yeah, so next time I'm going to plan on breaking down the layers of the site, uh, what can be found at each layer, and when that was happening. And I'm also going to go into a couple of other uh, locations that are nearby that have similar shaped T-pillars. Oh, um, well, before I do that, there is one thing I... Another thing I forgot to talk about. Um, Again, the humans depicted on the pillars themselves are not uh, very numerous, but there is a school of thought that claims uh, the T-shapes themselves are meant to be human. And perhaps that these are um, kind of similar to the um, uh, anthropomorphized human-animal hybrids that you see in other places uh, like Neolithic Europe and in Indonesia where we, had, we talked about how there were early depictions of like or human hybrids or um, some kind of dog possibly Uh, so maybe some types of shamanistic figures Um, but that's something we're going to dive into a little bit more when we talk about the potential religion of the site so I'd like to thank everyone for listening if you have any questions or feedback feel free to email me at war at revpod at gmail.com or you can Direct message me at Twitter, um, which I will include the, the um, podcast's uh, Twitter feed um, there if you'd like to leave any comments, constructive criticism, any kind of questions, uh, please feel free to reach out. And again, I'd just like to thank everyone for you know, helping the podcast grow so much so quickly, and um, I'm really looking forward to you here too going to do a little bit more different stuff. Um, going to add some logos for the or recolors of the current logos for some of our more off-topic episodes. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple of special things planned for these early days, as well as continuing you know, the regular episodes. I probably won't be taking another break or delay quite as bad as I have in the last couple of weeks. Um, I do apologize for that. Just Christmas, New Year's, and the here in the States. I'm going to
Anyway, I hope you all have a safe and pleasant day. And yeah, thank you for listening. Goodbye.